so glad you're here today. I hope you've really gotten a blessing out of the service. I know I have. I've gotten to experience it twice today. I love, I love my job. I get uh, to do all these wonderful things with the Lord's work here seven days a week. And then on Sunday mornings, I get to experience worship two times. I love riding the bus twice, and it's been great. Didn't you enjoy the teen drama group this morning? Weren't they great? That was awesome. I really, I really like that. And you know, of course, that we're in a series called Extreme Makeover Home Edition, and we're not talking about making our houses over again, but we're talking about our marriages and our families. And for a moment, I'd like to just review what we've covered in the first two services. In, in the first sermon, I tried to get you to think about the internal environment of your home, like an atmosphere. And we, we talked about how that so many times people want to make specific changes in their marriage or in their relationships with their children or parents, but until that environment changes, those individual changes that we try to make don't work out very well. So there's a climate. You feel it when you walk into your house. It's either joyful or it's tense. It's either free or it's constraining. There's an environment in your home. And what I wanted to get you to think about is that every one of us is making a contribution to that environment. There's a, there's a sort of, of, um, of a cocktail. There's a sort of a combination of environments that, that we all contribute to in our home. And then last week, we went to the book of Ephesians, where God tells us specifically what the role of each person in the family is. And I loved how that God got it down to one thing. God said, you know, husbands, you, you commit sacrificially to your wife, and wives respect your husbands, and kids value your parents, and parents encourage your kids. God got it down to one thing, and I hope, I hope you're working on this. I know I am. You know, please understand, I'm not some all-knowing, perfect teacher who stands up before you. I'm a student just like you are. And so for this whole week, I've been, been really looking at, my, at my, my life as a husband. I'm wondering if I'm really sacrificially encouraging Mary Alice. So when you see her, don't ask her how I'm doing. I'd like to give me a little more space, all right? I'd like to just a little more time. And certainly, you know, with my sons, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, am I really encouraging? I'm running everything that I, I say and do through that grid, and I find out that I'm doing pretty well on some things. I'm not doing so well on some things, and so I'm working on it, and I hope you're working on it too. But it could be that after hearing these first two messages, that some of you are saying, now Mark, that may work okay for you and your house, but, but my, my relationships are just so far gone or in so much trouble, I, I think it's too late for me. I, I, I just don't think there's any help for my marriage or you may say, you know, Mark, last week you talked about four responsibilities. Each member, you know, each member has their own responsibility. Well, I'm trying to carry my load, but nobody else is carrying theirs in my family. And so I just feel like it isn't going to work out for me. Well, I want you to think about something today. My whole message is geared to get you to think about one thing, and that thing is this. When it comes to your marriage or your relationship with your parents or your kids or your siblings— what I want you to understand from the Bible today is that you're not by yourself. You're not all alone. You're not in this thing by yourself. Have you, have you ever had a task before you that was just so big that you didn't think you were ever going to get it done and you were all by yourself? Maybe you thought other people were going to help you, and now here you are sitting at this desk with mounds of work before you, and you're thinking to yourself, if I work seven days a week, and I work 14 hours a day, and I work from now until doomsday, I'm still not going to make a dent in this. I thought other people were going to help me, but now here I am all by myself. I I've had a few tasks like that. 
Do you know what it feels like to just have somebody come and show up at that moment? Because you know your emotions, are, they're all tangled up at that point. When you've got a job and you're trying to do it by yourself and other people should be helping you and they're not helping you, you know, you have the emotion of desperation and self-pity and despair and all these things sort of combined to just make us feel hopeless. But what a great feeling it is when somebody just knocks on your door and says, man, I saw you in here. You got all this work on your desk and I, I don't have anything to do right now. Is it okay if I just kind of come in and help you? So, oh, man, that's great. All of a sudden, the job now, there are two people working. And somebody else comes by and says, hey, I saw you guys in here working. You mind if I help? And before long, four, five, six people come in to help you. And a job, a task that looked daunting and impossible just a few moments ago now begins to be fun because other people are there to help. What I want you to see is that what, that's what God is trying to say to us when it comes to our marriages and our families. We're not doing this by ourselves. On the show that we've taken our series title from, Extreme Makeover Home Edition, there's a neat scene that I always like. You know, the design team, they're on their way, they're in the bus, and they're watching the video or the DVD of the family's plight and their tough situation. And, you know, they're, they're hearing and watching about how tough the family has it. And you see the tears come down the cheeks of the design team. And, and you're thinking to yourself, while these people are on the bus on their way to help, this family's going through such a tough time. And they're trying to make it, and it's not good, and it's not pleasant. But there's always that moment that I love to watch, and it's when this great team of people shows up, and you see them walking up the hill or walking down the street, and, and they're on their way to help this family who needs help. It's kind of like the Verizon commercial. I think Verizon is the right name. You know, you see the commercial always compares this one poor guy who has a cell phone company and there are only a few people there helping him and his cell phone service isn't working great. And if it's Verizon, the guy with Verizon has this huge army of people that looks like the army in, in you know, Return of the King <laughs> or something and, and they're there to help him. What God wants you to understand is that when it comes to your marriage and your family, even though you may feel alone, there's this great army of help that you have. And I want you to see today, if you don't get anything else, for, for anyone here today who feels like you're all by yourself trying to make things work in your marriage or trying to make things work with your kids, I want you to see that you're not alone. You're not in this by yourself. The, team, the sermon today is called The Design Team. You've got help coming. But before we get to that, just to be academically honest, I want to tell you that you've got some things that are working against your family today. And the reason why I tell you this is very important for us to understand what's working against our relationships and what's working for our relationships. So let me just kind of run through those real quickly. I don't want this to be a downer. I just kind of want it to be an enlightenment for all of us. And for many of us, we know this already. Let's start with everybody's favorite whipping boy. How, how about the media? That's sort of a broad term, faceless term that we use for television and internet and movies and all that. And, and again, I mean, I don't think I'm telling you anything new, but if you just sort of imagine what the, the, the messages from the media to our, our families, most of it's not positive. And I know that we have a number of you that are involved in media at some level, and the last thing I want to communicate is that that you shouldn't be in media because God knows if, if there's anything we need, we need more Christians in media. We need more Christians making films. We need more Christians in the music industry. So I, I'm, I'm not knocking what you do if you're in the media. I'm just making the point that, that painting with the broad brush the media pretty well it comes against our families. I mean, if you look at what's presented in primetime television, 
You know, our, our families, our kids are treated to a constant dose uh, of of illicit sex and violence and, and all kinds of bad stuff. And we go to the movies, and, and, and it's kind of a bad thing because we've, we've begun to be sort of entertained by the violence. You go to the movie, and, and somebody's being beaten up or, or killed or raped, and, and you know, you're sort of sitting there drinking, your, sipping on your Coke and eating your milk duds uh, and being entertained by all these bad things happening to people. Joanna Weiss, writing for the Boston Globe, was writing about some of these video games, and one of the video games, I guess, that came out not too long back, where kids were allowed to just sort of make up their own violence. Uh, they could just, if they saw somebody walking down the street, they could just attack the person and beat them with the baseball bat. And what Joanna Weiss entitled her article was, Connecting with Your Inner Thug. And, and that's kind of what we have going on in our culture today. So we, we, we have these attacks, if you want to call them attacks, so we have this pressure on our family, on our relationships uh, from a media that seems to sink further and further all the time. And we sort of ask, how low can you go? And, and they outdo themselves, and they get even lower and lower and lower. And not only is the media presenting a lot of stuff that's not healthy for our families, many times the media attacks what is healthy for your family, you know, the new show that's out, I think it's called The Book of Daniel, in which you've got this priest whose who's, who's life is all messed up, and Jesus shows up as some sort of irrelevant character. To, and it's just really an attack real, on, on the, the values that we really hold dear. So the media can't be counted on to be friendly toward what does matter, and oftentimes the messages they bring us aren't, aren't very friendly to our, to our families and our marriage relationships. But just as we're thinking, you know, it's sex and it's violence, I really think one of the biggest issues that, that I have as a leader of my family doesn't maybe come from those strident, ugly messages about sex and violence. I think sometimes one of the greatest attacks on our, on our homes and our families comes from the commercials. Because the commercials send a very strong signal to all of us, and that is life is about you. Life is about you. It's you do this for yourself. I really think that's one of the biggest issues, if not the biggest issue, that, that confronts our, our families today. It's the strong message of self first. Now, let's just be real honest. You can live for yourself or you can have a family, but not both. You know, people today, they get married. You know, a man's looking for a woman to make him happy. A woman is looking for a man to make her happy. People have children to make them happy. Listen to me. When, 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 you, when you look at your family relationships, you have to understand that those people in your family are partners, not possessions. A self-absorbed, self-centered culture involves people looking for possessions, and that's why so many families are breaking up and, and there's so many bad stories out there on the street today is here's a man who gets married. He doesn't get married to have a life partner. He gets married because he wants a possession. He wants a woman to make him happy. And so he goes out to own her. And there is a woman who wants a man to make her happy. And she doesn't marry him to be a life partner. She wants a possession. And there are people who have children. And it's not like they're wanting to partner with these children. It's like they want a possession. They want to own that child so that child will, own, will, will love them. Now, I, I want to be real, real plain with all of us here today. And like I say, you know, we get bombarded all the time with these messages that it is about you and it's about you being happy. And if you're not happy, then move on and only stay with people if they make you happy. What I want to get across to you is, look, if you want a possession, buy a poodle. 
I'm serious. I mean, if you want, if you want to buy something that talks to you, buy a minor bird. If you, want to, if you want a possession, buy a pet. Marriage is not about owning somebody who will make you happy. It's not about owning a woman or owning a man, having children. Listen, you know, you say, well, I just want a baby because a baby will love me. Well, think about this, you know. By the way, if you want a baby, be sure you want a teenager. <laughs> right? Because that baby's going to grow up and become a teenager. I mean, you know, I, I see parents, you know, people, oh, we want a baby, we want a baby. And then when they get to be a teenager, we want to take them back and get a refund. <laughs> and you can't do that because you've already used them 30 days and you've got to keep them. <laughs> Mark Twain said, when a boy turns 13, put him in a box and cut a hole big enough for him to breathe. That's right. He said when he turns 17, plug up the hole. <laughs> now, all I'm saying to you is this. We live in a culture where we're inundated with these messages that say, it is about you. If you're happy, great. If you're not happy, move on. If people are not doing the stuff that makes you happy, then you need to seek and find a new relationship. And what I'm trying to tell you is marriage is about partnering. Family is about partnering. Moms and dads, you're only going to have those kids for a short time. You don't own them. God owns them. They will answer to God. We're just there to love them and shepherd them and steward them because someday they're going to, they're going to leave us. A little, girl, a little girl misquoted Proverbs 22, 6. You know the verse that says, train up a child in the way he should go? She was quoting it in Awana, and she said, train up a child in a way he goes. And that's true. So I just want to get across to you that that's one of the issues that we all face. We live in a culture where we're encouraged to, to be selfish. And selfishness is absolutely counter to all the things that are good and beneficial in your marriage and your parenting relationships. Well, I think another issue that we have today is, is a lack of modeling. And this, to some degree, is something of a cultural thing. I, I really feel sorry for some of you, you know, you're, you're parenting and you're, you're 25 years old, you're 30 years old, and, and maybe you're, you're having your first child. And the reason why I kind of feel bad for you sometimes, not, not everyone, but, you know, those of you who are young parents, your parents were baby boomers. And baby boomers, we, we just grew up. And, I, and I'm saying that about myself because my birth year is the median year of the baby boom. Baby boomers grew up more selfish than their predecessors. And baby boomers tried all kinds of things that didn't work. And many, many people today are struggling to know what family and marriage is all about because they haven't had very good modeling. Uh, I was reading about a grandmother who was making cookies with her, uh, with her granddaughter, and it was one of those sort of rock, Rockwell-esque moments where the granddaughters were, the granddaughter was helping her, and, and for some reason the granddaughter got kind of interested in the flour, and she took a butter knife and started, started making lines with the flower. And a grandmother says, sweetheart, what are you doing? And she said, well, this is how mom and Gary cut their cocaine. Think about how many kids grow up in, in that kind of environment. And then they grow up to be parents, and they don't have any role models. They don't know what it means to be a man. They don't know what it means to be a woman. They don't know what it means to be a parent because they haven't had role modeling. And so that, that works against some of us. And, and like we said a few moments ago, a lot of the images that we get from the culture are not always helpful. I, I was kind of impressed with what Matt Greening said, who is the creator of The Simpsons, uh, when he was responding to complaints that Bart was not a good role model. He said, I now have a seven-year-old boy and a nine-year-old boy, so all I can say is, I apologize. Now I know what you guys were talking about. <laughs> Too late. 
lack of modeling. Then, of course, because our culture is really struggling with home and family issues, many times there's a complication of baggage. People bring baggage into their relationships, and it's hard because of the complication. And sometimes there's an absence of support. People don't know where to turn if things aren't working out with their marriage and with their parenting relationships. And i got to throw this one in. It's a big one, I think. It's economic pressures. I mean, if you look at our income today as Americans, it seems like we make an awful lot of money. But how many of you trying to, trying to put a family together, you know, have a marriage and have, raise kids, how many of you think back, you know, my parents made a fraction of what I make, but they did so much more with what they had? Or my grandparents, they would have thought the amount of money I make is obscene, but somehow they managed to, to buy a farm with, with the income that they have. And there are a lot of economic pressures on this, and some of it's because we want so much. But I think there's something else as well. You know, the Tax Foundation is always talking to us about Tax Freedom Day. Tax Freedom Day is the first day that you earn income that's not consigned to taxes. So you work so long in the year just to pay your taxes. If you lived in 1900, you would be through paying your taxes by January 22nd. Isn't that great? I mean, as of today, you're it. that's it. The rest of the year, you're working to take care of your family. The money that you get, you can spend it on your family. They tell us today that you have to work, and I don't want to bring you down because I know you came to church to be encouraged today. <laughs> but do you realize you're going to have to work till April 17th, just if you're the average family, and some of your income is above average, so you'll have to work even longer. But those of you who are in average income in America, you have to work till April 17th just to pay your taxes. So right now, you're working for the man. Did you know that? I mean, all the income that you've made so far, it's going to taxes. And we wonder sometimes, why do both parents have to work, and why, why do we have so much stress and pressure? And a part of it is the economic pressure. These are just things that work against the family. I'm not campaigning against any of them. I'm just saying, this is where we are. These are the things that work against our family. Okay, enough of the down stuff. Let's start talking about the good stuff today. I want you to know, especially for somebody here today who's saying, Mark, I'm about to quit, I want you to know that you're not alone. You have a team, a massive team, that wants to help you with your marriage and with your family relationships. And it starts with the person you knew I would talk about. It starts with God. Folks, I believe with all my heart, God is for Mary Alice and me. I believe God is for my marriage. I believe God is for my kids. As hard as it is to believe for me sometimes, I believe God is still for my kids. And if I want them to succeed, God wants them to succeed even more than I do. If I want my marriage to be wonderful, God wants my marriage to be, more, to be wonderful even more than I do. God is for us. In Psalm 56, verse 9, the Bible says, This I know, God is on my side. Romans 8, 31 says, If God is for us, who can ever be against us? I believe that today. I'm not a smart man, not an intellectual, but I believe God is for my marriage. God is for my kids. I instantly have the greatest helper of all. When Kathy was playing on the saxophone a little while ago and playing uh, How Great Thou Art, and you saw up here on the center screen all these beautiful images of God's creation, it made me realize that the same God who spoke the world into existence cares about my marriage and cares about my kids. Isn't that great? God is for you. Let's think about this. His design, 
is working for you. Remember this, the closer you get to God's design, the more successful you're going to be. The further away you get from God's design, the less successful you're going to be. We have some cultural issues that are hot-button issues. Uh, for instance, abortion. This is Sanctity of Life Week. And it's tragic what's happening in America with abortion. You know what the problem with abortion is? It runs counter to God's design. It's something that God's designed that, that man stops, that man gets in the way of. Uh, another issue is gay marriage. And, you know, gay marriage is not about sex, and it's not even about attraction. It's about design. See, all I'm trying to say is the closer we get to God's design, the better things are going to be. The further away we get from God's design, the more painful things are going to be. Last week, I talked to you about God's design for family. Husbands, sacrificially commit for your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Parents, encourage your kids. Kids, value your parents. That's God's design, and it works for you. It's just like getting into the slipstream. It's getting into where the power is and God using his power in our lives. God's design is working for you. I love that. Let's go uh, to something else today. And by the way, I know that these are some things that you thought I would talk about today, but I hope that even though I may be repeating some things that many of you have heard for years, I'm praying that God will make it new and fresh. I believe with all my heart, God hears our prayers. Many of us struggle with our marriages, struggle with our kids and parents, but do we ever pray and ask God for his help? The Bible says that God's ears are open to our prayers. So that means that in the morning when I get up, before I face today, I can say, Lord, would you strengthen Mary Alice and me? She's going to have some tough things that happen today. I'm going to have some bad things that can happen today. And if we're not careful, we're going to turn our pain on each other and cause st stress on our marriage. So, Lord, please, please strengthen my marriage today. And, God, you know my kids, all three of them have different personalities, and, and, and I'm different from all three of them. And, and sometimes I don't understand them, and they don't understand me. So, Lord, would you help me in my relationship with my kids? How many of us pray like that? See, God, God's, God's there for us. I have a friend in Atlanta, and uh, he injured his knee the other day. And, you know, he lives in one of these nice suburban areas, but the lot, the land, you know, the, the yards aren't all that big. But he had a hard time mowing his grass, and he had one of these mowers that wasn't self-propelled. It was a push mower, and he's out there limping around trying to mow his yard. And what should take 30 minutes takes two hours because you couldn't walk. His neighbor... You know how we suburbanites are. Sometimes we have more money than brains. His neighbor went out and bought one of these like $10,000 mowers, you know, with a zero turning radius and everything to mow this tiny yard. But he had to have it. You know, it was a nice toy. So he went out and bought this lawnmower, and he mowed his yard in about five minutes. And he came over, and he saw my friend. He said, you know, he said, listen, could, could I mow your grass? He said, I, I'm looking for yards to mow. I got this mower, and, and, and he said, I mow my grass so fast, and, and you're limping around over here. He said, please, let me mow your grass. But my friend's one of these macho guys and doesn't want anybody else to mow the yard at his castle. And he said, no, I can handle this okay. He couldn't, but he said he could. So he's out there limping around, and, and his next-door neighbor's out there standing there saying, please, would you please let me come over? And mow? I'm just dying to get my, get my hands on your yard. 
<laughs> my friend said, no, 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 I can take care of this, okay. But the more he tried to mow, the worse his knee got. Swelled up after a while. He couldn't even limp around and mow his grass. And he said, Mark, you know, he said, I realized I was going to have to go over to my neighbor's house and knock on his door and ask him to mow my grass. But he said, you know, it didn't bother me a bit because I knew he couldn't wait for me to ask him. He was just dying to get his hands and his mower on my yard. What I want you to think about is that image when you think about the next time you pray for your family. God is over there saying, please let me get my hands on your marriage. Please let me get my hands on your family. That stuff that's so hard for you is not hard for me. And we're saying, okay, I can handle this. Okay, I've got this taken care of. That's what we say when we don't pray. The next time you pray, I want you to realize that the Lord is over there with all the heavy machinery of heaven and earth saying, please let me get my hands on your family. You don't have to talk him into it. You don't have to pressure him. You don't have to push him because he wants to help you. I'm telling you, you've got help today. You're not by yourself. God is there, and he wants to help you. He hears your prayers. Well, let's go to the next thing. Not only do you have God working for you. And, and I want to talk to you for a few moments. I know that some of you are part of our Messiah family. Others of you, you're beginning to explore whether or not this could be your church home. And some of you, you could be visiting from out, out of town. And I, I'm just going to talk for a few moments about the fact that our church is here to help you. We're part of the team to help your family. Lance talked about this a few moments ago. He said, we're not here to do church. And could I just tell you that nothing Nothing could be more true than that statement. That is so true. We are not here to play church. I guarantee you there are too many other things I could be doing if all I want to do is just come in and do church like normal. I'm here because I care about your family and your marriage and everybody who is on this team, staff and layperson. I guarantee you what we're here about today is we're here about your family and your marriage, and we're here to help you. Let me just make it personal today. I know my goal as your pastor is to communicate to you in a way that will build your family relationships and build you up as an individual, which also strengthens your home. And I make a personal commitment to you here today, just, just you and me here. My commitment to you is that when you come to listen to these messages, I'm going to have done my homework before you get here. And I'm going to try to make things as plain and simple as I can to give you strategies that will work. I don't know if any of you have ever been to a church like this. I've been to quite a few of them in my life where you, you walk in and you hear a preacher and it's like he's doing his homework in front of everybody else to convince everybody he went to seminary. You ever been to one of those churches, you know? You walk, I mean, the guy gives you all the Greek language and all the Hebrew and gives you all these different ideas and you, you walk out and you say, what was that about? I don't know, but it was deep. <laughs> I've been there before. And, and I'm really wondering, you know, is there any help there? I just want you to know that's not what Messiah is about. If you're one of those people and you like that kind of stuff, you're at the wrong place because what we care about here is hearing what God says and knowing how to apply it in our lives. Uh, in, in my home, we, we have sort of consistent chores. And Mary Alice and I have been married now for a long time, and we've kind of worked out what works for us. And, and for instance, stacking the dishwasher. I, I don't like to unload the dishwasher because, frankly, I can never remember where Mary Alice puts things. 
But she, she likes that fine. She's glad to unload it. She doesn't like to stack it. I like to stack it because I got this sort of masculine organization thing, and I'm thinking, how can I organize the top drawer, and how can I organize the bottom? And it just works out great. She unloads it. I load it. That's how it works. So imagine, if you will, please, that I come home from the office, and I put my stuff down, and Meryl says, Mark, would you, would you stack the dishwasher for me today? And I'm saying, oh, yeah, stack the dishwasher. So I go into the living room, and I get out my legal pad and say, stack the dishwasher. I am all over that. Uh, stack. Sometimes that word can be used as a verb. <laughs> Sometimes it can be used as a noun. And there are all kinds of stacks. There are stacks of coins and stacks of clothes, and, and there are uh, stacks of boxes. Yeah, it could be used that way, yeah. And then I could see how other people have used the term stack through the years. And then beyond that, let's think now about dishwashers. I can get online, start looking at various dishwashers and see what Maytag dishwashers look like and, and Kenmore dishwashers look like and how they work and how, the different, how, many, how many of them have different cycles and what the drying delivery is like. And after about an hour of that kind of foolishness, Morales comes in and says, Mark, if you stack the dishwasher, and I'm saying, I love stacking dishwashers. Look, I got pages of legal pad notes here about stacking dishwashers. Meryl's going to say, Mark, all I care about is did you stack the dishwasher? And see, so many churches are like that. They're full of depth about nothing. They fill up legal pads of notes and are completely irrelevant. I make a commitment to you. I may not be the smartest guy in the world, but I promise you, when you come in here on Sunday mornings, if God says stack the dishwasher, I'm going to say God says stack the dishwasher. Because that's what you need, and that's what you come for. You want to know, what does God say? You don't come to see me perform. You don't come to see the other teachers on the staff perform. You come for us to share with you in terms that you can use and implement what God has to say. And I promise you, I promise you, from myself to all the members of the team, that's what we're going to be about because we care about your family. We want you to know how to be a success. Then beyond that, I want you to know, for those of you especially who have kids or those those of you who have teenagers, our student ministry is deeply concerned about being a help to your family. Now, I'm not saying you can drop your kids off at our church and pick them up and they're going to be perfect. I promise you that's not the case. We want to reinforce at church what you're doing at home. We want to be another voice. We want to be another layer of strength in your family. One of the issues that I have with student ministry is, for you know, when you're in high school, high school is a surreal environment. And it's not real. And many times kids leave high school and they don't, want, they don't know what to do with the rest of their lives. We are passionate. And I'm speaking for Sean here. He's, he was in the early service with all the high schoolers. They're over in their, in their small groups right now. But I can speak for Sean and tell you that what we care about is communicating to our high schoolers those transforming truths that will go for the rest of their lives. Let's talk about kids' ministry for a moment. My, one, of, one of the greatest passions I have is to see kids' ministry that is joyful, that is relevant, that is irresistible. That's why it's part of our purpose statement. In fact, the single most important thing that happens on our property is kids' ministry. I care more about that than I care about everything else combined because our kids need to be excited with Jesus. I grew up going to too many churches when I was a kid. I'd visit churches, and, and the Sunday school programs were kind of like this. Boys, you sit down, you be still, and you listen to me talk for an hour. And I got to tell you why, I didn't care for that at all. Because what happened was Jesus was made boring. 
If Jesus is boring, it's not Jesus' fault. Jesus was exciting. Jesus was thrilling. When we tell kids, sit down, this is boring, but it's good for you, we've just equated Jesus with cough syrup. (laughs) Jesus is exciting. Listen to me. When Jesus was teaching, there was a little boy that took a sack lunch. Little kids don't take a sack lunch on their day off to spend all day listening to somebody who is boring. Jesus came by and found the disciples. You know, they weren't disciples then. They were fishermen. He asked them to leave their livelihood and come follow him. They did. He found Matthew. He was making a lot of money, but he was doing it in a shady way. He said, Matthew, I want you to leave your Ferrari and your Omani suits and come follow me. And he did. People don't do that for a boring person. Our Lord was thrilling. Our Lord was exciting. And I want our kids' ministries to be that way, and they are that way, whether we're talking about Kids World or G-Force or any of the children's ministries here. Our passion is to be excited and to excite our kids with who Jesus is and what he's all about. I think I may have shared this with you not long ago, but I was baptizing one morning, and I left the baptistry and walked by the, by the Family Life Center where G-Force is going on right now. Not today. This happened some time back, but I went to G-Force, and it's a high-energy program. You know, they've got the space shuttle back there and, and the drama people in space suits and, and all the lights and the excitement. And I, w- I remember walking in and seeing this little boy on the back row. The floor is flat in the, family, in the Family Life Center, and he had a whole bunch of kids in front of him, and he couldn't see. And he stood up, and he tried to see. And then when he couldn't see standing up, he climbed up on his chair to see what was going on. And I thought to myself, I wish... I could have been nine years old in that environment. That's what we care about. We want our kids to be thrilled and excited about the things of God. Why? Because God is exciting, and we want to help your family. We want to be a blessing. We want to be an encouragement. We want to strengthen your family relationships. Uh, Tonight, and for those of you who are watching on television, this day will have passed by the time you watch this broadcast, but tonight our church is experiencing a festival it's, it's our Connection Group Festival. Tonight, we'll meet here at 6 o'clock. Pastor Rick Hopper, who is leading our Connection Group ministry, will talk with us about all the opportunities to become part of a Connection Group, and then we'll go back to the Family Life Center. You have a chance to learn of, about the possibilities here of connecting with other people, and you need that because you need strength. Iron sharpens iron. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, two people can accomplish more than twice as much as one. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts, in effect. They get a better return for their labor. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But people who are alone when they fall are in real trouble. Verse 12 says, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And that's why when you come tonight, you're going to find all kinds of groups to connect with. There'll be couples groups, there'll be men's groups, there'll be ladies groups, there'll be, you know, there are groups for, for, for high schoolers, there are groups for all ages, groups for singles. You can actually connect with other Christian people and draw strength from them. So that's what I want to say to you. You're not alone. You're not in this by yourself. God is here for you. This church is here for you. You've got a great team behind you. Now, somebody could say, Mark, why have you taken one out of the four weeks of this series just to communicate this one principle? Mark, there's so many other things you could have talked about in these four weeks. Why would you set aside one whole week of the Extreme Makeover Home Edition series? Why would you set aside one service, a whole service, 
just to tell us that we're not in this by ourselves. We'll go back to that illustration I gave you at the beginning of the service. That job you had when you were all by yourself. What happens if nobody comes to help? What if you sit there and you work and you work and you work and you don't think anybody's coming to help you and it's impossible? You're likely to give up. You're likely to throw in the towel. Because you'll say to yourself, what difference will it make if I keep working and this thing is impossible? I want to talk to some of you this morning. You're just about to quit. You're just about to give up. You're saying, I've tried. This marriage stinks. It's never going to be any better. And I can't, I can't do it by myself. My husband won't help. My wife won't help. My kids won't help. My parents won't help. I'm in this. I'm by myself. When you think like that, the next step is to quit. What I'd like to get you to do in this message is to back up a little bit and say, you know, I'm not in this by myself. I have the God of creation who stands with me. I have a church family that everything they do is all about helping my marriage and helping my family. And I'd like to ask you, just wait a little longer before you give up. Wait a little longer before you quit because you're not in this alone. The design team is here for you.